0: We are finishing up our series that we've been in since we started meeting here at Cap City, The Secret to Bliss, right? And uh, Tiffany asked me, so what's the secret? And I was like, you don't know yet? And she's like, well, I've been in children's every week. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, you should have been listening online. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Tiffany. Did I embarrass you? Uh <laughs> Uh, So, you know, as I was preparing this sermon, it didn't affect my sermon too much, but I was like, you know what, we're really going to just clarify what the secret is. If I had not made it clear yet, that's my fault. And we're going to be going over that. Um, Before we do, let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to finish up this book of Philippians. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Lord, thank you for allowing us to serve you in all the different ways that we get to serve you, Lord. Thank you for the honor of being able to gather together and worship you and and, and praise your name and, and be able to read your scripture, Lord, your holy inspired word that you gave to us because you love us. And Lord, I pray that we would look at this last portion of Philippians and give this text the respect it deserves as your word, Lord, and that we would open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say, God, and that we would be challenged, that we would be encouraged and that we would take it to heart and um, live out our lives, um, knowing that um, you are so generous to us, and you have given us grace upon grace, and you love us so much, Lord, and that we would just receive that and live in that. Jesus, um, I just pray that we would leave this message just a little closer to you, Jesus. In your name, amen. All right, so we've been in the series, The Secret to Bliss, which has been a study of the book of Philippians. Um, Today we get to this last portion. We're going to be covering Philippians um, 4, 10 through 23. And I'm really excited to finish up the series. One, because I'm excited to preach this portion of text, because in this text we find the key verse to the entire series. And I'm also excited because um, I am excited about future series. So it's a double win for me. Uh, But as we go through this text, we'll kind of walk through the scriptures and just do an overview of these verses here. And then we'll kind of come back to that heart of it and really um, punch that in. So let's go ahead and start in verse 10 and just see what Paul has to say here. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So... Paul here is addressing his needs that he's had being in prison and on missions. He says, I rejoiced greatly that you're concerned for me, and you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's saying that there were opportunities where the Philippians did not, um, there were times where the Philippians did not have the opportunity to, to give to him or the opportunity to help him or support him. But he says he still was grateful that they had the heart for it. They had the heart to give. And what I notice here in the verse 10 is that Paul says that they had no opportunity, and that's why they couldn't give at some points. And I was challenged by that, and I hope you would be too, because oftentimes the reason that we don't give or we don't help others is not a lack of opportunity, it's a lack of concern. Whereas with the Philippians in this specific case, they had concern, but they had no opportunity, Paul says. And uh, that verse challenged me, right? Uh, there are so many times where we have opportunities to serve, to, to love others, to give, to be generous, to help someone who's in need, to pray with someone, whatever it may be. There's opportunities if we're open our, we'll open our eyes to them. But oftentimes, the real problem is we have a lack of concern for others because we're too <laughs> self-centered. But Paul says with the Philippians, they're this church that he loves. Throughout the whole book, um, Paul just expresses his joy for them like his love for them like he's proud of this church. He doesn't really have a lot of negativity to say. Even his one kind of exhortment is really not even exhortment cuz he doesn't say anybody's in the wrong. He just says you need to pursue peace a little more than you are. I mean it's barely even a rebuke you couldn't really call it that. I mean, he just loves this church. He's proud of this church, of this generous church. And and Paul is saying, even when you couldn't, you had no way to help me, you still wanted to. And I love that about um, the Philippian church. And I love that Paul recognizes that here. And I pray that we would all be that type of church where we are looking for opportunities all the time. And we're bummed out when we can't help because there is no opportunity. But our concern is there. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. Paul says here that not that I have any need for I've learned that in any situation, all circumstances, how to be filled with joy and to be content. Right. So he says, I know how to abound and I know how to be brought low. I know how to face plenty and to have nothing. And he says there, I've learned the secret to facing all circumstances. And then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says that the secret is he's learned to rely on Jesus. He's relied on Jesus for his strength. We're going to come back to that. Don't worry about it. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. And I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory Forever and ever. Amen. Paul addresses here that at times they were the only ones who were supporting him. Um, And he's thankful for them. He's saying in this letter, I'm not asking for more. Because I received your gift from Epaphroditus, who is the one who delivered the letter and was taking the letter back. And he's saying your gift was so generous, it was way beyond what I needed. So thank you. I recognize that you guys have supported me and at times even been the only church that supported me. Paul had planted this church 10 years prior to writing this letter to them. So even after 10 years, a whole decade, this church was still supporting him, still loving him, still sending him gifts, still um, encouraging Paul with, with sending um, different representatives from the church to bring gifts and to to help him and serve him in, in, in the missions and then he says that their gift is this sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Right? He's recognizing this form of worship that they're doing by supporting him and by being generous to Paul and the other missionaries that are with Paul. And then he says at the end here, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is confident that even when they're giving, even giving with a, a ton of um, generosity, he's like, God's going to take care of you. Don't you worry for one second. I am confident that no matter how much you give, God's going to still take care of you. And a lot of times we don't give because we're worried that there might not be enough left over for me if I give. And, and Paul's like, give. It's a form of worship. And don't worry, I'm confident God will still take care of you. Um, And then here in verse 21, we'll finish up the book. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Interesting here. It seems just like a standard, goodbye, have a nice time, Paul, right? But here he says, greet every saint, and then he says, the brothers that are with me greet you, and then all the saints in the area here in Rome greet you. And then he says this, just throws this in there, and especially those of the household of Caesar. Paul had, earlier in the letter, said that through his imprisonment and through this trial, he's on death row, he's facing um, this trial, really, where he could end up being killed, and he says through all of that, the entire imperial guard had been able to hear the gospel because every time he goes in front of these judges or goes to these courts, he just starts preaching the gospel. And so in the entire imperial guard, um, all those who um, were in Roman um, council and then even Caesar's household that says here, had heard the gospel. But more than that, he's saying that saints of Caesar's family are greeting the church in Philippi. Right? He's saying that... Not only have they heard the gospel, but literally Caesar's relatives have started accepting the gospel. And that, this is kind of like a little missionary report. Hey, it's a success. I'm in prison, but it's a success. The gospel has reached all the way to Caesar's family. And Caesar's family is starting to get saved. How awesome is that? What an awesome report, right? The most influential people in the world are being reached with the gospel. See ya, Paul. <laughs> right? Goodbye. <laughs> But he does end the book, verse 23, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What's the secret to bliss? If I could sum it up, I might sum it up in verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. God gives his grace freely. The cross was God's gift to us. Christ gave himself up for us. He laid his own life down. He shed his own blood so that we could be redeemed, that we could have forgiveness for our sins. Amen? And that's that's where grace begins for us, really. But it's certainly not where grace ends. If we view grace as just the cross, if we view grace as just salvation, then we live our lives still living in works, in our flesh, trying our hardest. But God's grace goes so much farther than that. His grace is there for you every moment of your life. If you're willing to receive it, it's there. Paul says, that I've learned, right? So the fact that he says, I have learned means that it's a process. I have learned to face plenty, to to face plenty or hunger, to abound or to have nothing. I have learned, and I've learned the secret to being content in all circumstances, he says. How did he learn that? It's God's grace. Isn't it free? It is. But we learn how to respond to God's grace. And he said, it's through Christ who strengthens me. I'm learning to rely on him instead of myself. I'm learning to give more of myself to him. Give more of myself to him so that he will take care of the situation. There's a process there. In ourself, we have this battle that goes on between our flesh and our spirit. Continually. Paul, at the beginning of the letter, said that he was... He was Joy-filled because the Philippians were what? Partakers of grace. They were fellow partakers of grace. The word partaker, it has the idea of consuming. They were fellow partakers. They were taking of the grace that God gives freely. They were partaking of it, consuming it, living on it. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Right? He's the... Water that, if we drink of it, we'll never be thirsty again. All these things are free gifts from God, but God says you're going to do, you're gonna have to do what you have to do, and that is to receive it. If you're struggling with sin in your life, it's not about you trying harder, mustering up some strength, and doing better. It's about you partaking of the grace that is there to defeat that sin. It's about you drawing near to Jesus, surrendering more to Jesus, giving yourself to Jesus completely. When we struggle, it's because we're still trying to do things on our own. We're we're still working in the flesh. We're still striving on our own, but we need to rely on Jesus. We have to go to Jesus. We have to go and receive, partake of his grace, partake of his strength. He says that he'll give the spirit as a helper, right? You see, all these things are about God giving freely and us receiving. The grace is always there. It's unchanging. But what changes is us and our response to the grace. God is unchanging. His gifts unchanging. Right? That's why there are some who, who they reject the gospel completely. It doesn't mean that God does not love them. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't want the best for them. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't have grace for them. They have to receive it. But the thing is, in in all parts of our life, every day when we're struggling, God has the grace there. He has victory for you there. Will you partake of it? That's the secret. The secret is His grace and our partaking or receiving of His grace. Our relying on Him. Our learning to, to rely on His strength instead of our strength. How can Paul do all things? Well, it's through Christ who strengthens him. It's not of himself. Jesus says that my yoke and burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We forget that he says, my yoke and my burden. Right? Because here's the thing it is easier to lust than to love, it is easier to be selfish than selfless, it is easier to be proud than humble. It's easier to think of yourself and and, and get things for yourself than to think of others and think what's best for them. It is certainly, certainly difficult to live out the Christian life the way the Bible tells us that we should. It is no easy task. And for all of us here, if you've tried at all, you know that it's not the easiest thing. Can I get an amen? We know that it's not easy. Jesus never called us to easy things. Instead, he said, what? Pick up your cross and follow me. That is not an easy calling. I can't think of many callings more difficult than that. Can you? Pick up your cross and follow me. That is a hard task. But he says, it's my burden and it's my yoke. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there strengthening you. I'm going to be there giving you grace. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And if you will partake of this grace and you rely on my strength, then it's completely possible. And in fact, easy and light. When we find good works difficult, when we find resisting sin difficult, it is because we're trying to do it in our own strength and we are not relying on Jesus like we should. And we're crazy to try to do things on our own. Paul says in Galatians, Will you now try to complete in the flesh what begun in the Spirit? Oh, you fools! He's in all caps, he's yelling at them. Are you crazy? You cannot possibly try to finish what begun in the Spirit in the flesh. It's not possible. You have to continue in the Spirit. You have to do it by His strength and His grace. So the secret to bliss, the secret to facing any kind of circumstance and being filled with peace and joy and love and and being full of the relationship that brings us um, completion in our hearts and our spirit. It's by us going to Jesus, responding to him, partaking of his spirit, partaking of his grace. His grace is free. So let's take as much as we can. Right. It's like when you go to a buffet and, you know, it's Jesus already paid the price. And you're gonna be like, well, I'm only gonna take, you know, one croissant. <laughs> all right? I'm just gonna get the salad. What are you crazy? All oh, you can eat, it's the best food ever. Eat as much as you can, right? Actually, don't. That's called gluttony, it's also a sin. Uh, <laughs> but we've probably all committed that sin, right? At least as a kid, maybe you go, right? And uh you go to a buffet and you're just like, oh my gosh. A never-ending amount of pudding, right? Why do they always have the pudding by the salad? right? you got to put the pudding on the salad. Um, I think that's what they're trying to tell us to do. Anyways, my point is, why would we just take a little bit? Why wouldn't we take all of it? Why wouldn't we eat as much as we can, partake of it as much as we can? It's like us going to this buffet, taking a little bit, and then living out our whole week without eating again, wondering why we're tired, why, wondering why everything we do seems to be so difficult. Well, you didn't get the nutrients you needed. We've got to partake of grace. We have to go to Jesus. We cannot do it on our own. Paul, in this book, he has he's taught us a lot. I have personally learned a lot studying this book and teaching this book. I hope that you guys have as well in the times that you've been here. In summary, you know, he's taught us to be thankful, to rejoice preemptively, like to decide ahead of time, I'm going to rejoice no matter what. He taught us to enjoy Christ-centered community. He taught us there's so much joy in a gospel-centered life. He taught us the importance of humility, that we're lights of the world, that we have leaders, um, and if they lead well, they're a benefit to us. He told us to live righteously, but that righteousness, we, we, we get through faith. He told us um, to press on, to strain, to, to run a marathon, to have that way of thinking. He told us to have a mindset where we think on holy things, we think on pure things, good things, acceptable things, and to resist things that are of no benefit to us. He taught us to have unity with the church. He taught us to take care of others' needs, and he taught us, in this last portion here, to be content in all circumstances. There's a lot there, right? There's a lot there. We could just start this book over, because we probably need to hear it again, right? We won't do that. I heard of a church once that did that. The pastor did a year-long series at the end, said so they didn't know. They, they did, had not learned it, and so he started over, and his, a bunch of people left his church. <laughs> can't, I can't say I wouldn't have stayed either. <laughs> uh, not going to do that. Sorry. Uh, tangent. Um, there's so much that we can learn in this book, and I hope that we have learned some. But all these things that Paul has taught us in this book deal with our faith and our worship to God. Our faith in Him and our worship of Him. Our response to grace in all its forms could be summed up in the word worship. And all these things that Paul has taught us to do, you could sum them up in one word, worship. And I don't mean just when we're singing songs. It's praise, it's worshiping with our lips and our hands and that is good, and it's, it's right, and we should absolutely 100% worship like that, right? We need to learn to just come together and worship. It's beautiful, it's awesome, but our whole lives are to be offered up as a living sacrifice in worship to God. All the things that Paul has taught us here could be summed up in worship. In every way that we partake of grace, in every way that we receive his strength, it is involved in one form or another in worship. So in another sense, you could say the secret to bliss is to worship Him. Right? Now, maybe you remember when you were a kid and somebody said, yeah, in heaven you just worship all the time. And you're like, really? Hymns all the time? <laughs> That's heaven? <laughs> right? You ever remember that? Ever felt that? Well, Worship isn't just singing hymns. We barely even do that. <laughs> hymns, Right? Worship is our whole lives being devoted to him. And in heaven, we do that perfectly without any struggle of sin, without any distractions. We get to worship him with everything. And I'm thinking ahead and we're going to get to build stuff for him and explore space and whatever. Like I'm just imagining here, but there's so many things we'll get to do for his glory and his name. And it's going to be awesome and we're going to worship him. But on this life too, we get to worship him. And what's awesome is that we should learn to have the view that Whatever I'm doing, I can, I can do it for his glory, if it's a good thing. And, and that should be something that excites us. Like, I get to worship him. And in all these ways of partaking of his grace and relying on his strength, they're all forms of worship throughout our life. We do it for his glory, for his name, it's worship. And I honestly believe that worship will bring us true joy and peace that nothing else in this life will bring. I mean, living for yourself, satisfying yourself, like it feels good for a moment, but don't you oftentimes feel empty afterwards? Like a lot of those things we do just kind of as consumers. We consume, we feed the flesh, we do things that kind of make us feel good. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't bring you that satisfaction, right? You can binge a really good TV show, but it, when the TV show is done, you might still feel lonely or, or Well, I'm not saying that everyone watching Netflix is depressed. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, no, even if a good TV show or having a good time with friends or if you go and get drunk, that feeling, you know, it goes away, doesn't it? And then what you're left with is how you really feel. You're left with yourself. (laughs) But when we worship, we're not left with ourselves. We start to receive Him and be close to Him and have a relationship with Him and, and grow to be more like Him. Isn't that awesome? We get to praise him and worship him with our whole lives. You know, in Romans 12, 1 through 2, it says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. How awesome is that? It says Your whole life, all of it, give it to him. This is your service of worship. We give our Sells to him. There's one example of someone doing this in scripture that is fitting with the Christmas season. And beyond the fact that it's just a Christmas season, this is honestly one of the best examples of someone worshipping when really if you'd looked at it from a physical or um, world point of view, there'd be no way that you would have peace and joy. There'd be no way that you would have the confidence that she does. And that's um, Jesus' mother, Mary. When the Holy Spirit came and he he tells Mary, "Hey, you're gonna have a baby, even though you're a virgin, and that baby's gonna be God." <laughs> um, I don't know if I can imagine anything else like crazier than that, right? Mary was, by most scholars, they believe that she was probably 14 years old in that age range, and she was betrothed to be married to Joseph. It's like being engaged, but in their culture when you're betrothed, it, it's like a contract and you, you signed it. So if she slept with someone else, even though you're engaged, it's adultery. And if Joseph had decided to report this, she would have been stoned. She would have been killed as a 14-year-old girl for committing adultery. Even though she was engaged, their engagement is a lot serious, more serious than ours, right? So She's betrothed. It's you're not married yet, but you are committed. You're in it, right? You're betrothed to be married, and and so they had not slept together, and yet she's pregnant, and she's pregnant with what? God. She's pregnant with God's son, and she has to raise a baby. Um, she has to raise a baby in a small town where everybody is going to judge and gossip. And on, on top of that, she's 14 years old, and we see no mention of any family members. We see no mention of any family members, which means that either her family was not, or any immediate family members. We know she has, um, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, so she has an aunt there. There's no mention of her parents in any form at all. So that means that she was on her own with Joseph to raise this baby. So here's, here's Mary's situation. I'm pregnant. My soon-to-be husband could report me and I could be stoned to death. On top of that, I don't have any parents to rely on. And so what does Mary do? Mary goes and she visits John the Baptist's mother, who's also pregnant with John the Baptist. When she goes there, she goes there for three months. And in that time, what we don't see is Mary really worried, stressed, angry, upset. We don't see any of those things. What we get in Luke is Mary's song of worship. So instead of worrying, Mary worships, which is really awesome. Let's go ahead and take a look at Mary's song here. And I want you to imagine a 14-year-old girl that you know, pregnant, with no immediate family to help her. Mary said, with all my heart... I'm reading in the um, Common English Bible... So if you read in the ESV, it's going to sound different. This version is really beautiful. With all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in my God, my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone. From one generation to the next, who honors Him as God. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of His servant Israel, remembering His mercy, just as He promised to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to Abraham's descendants forever. She worships. There's a lot here. First, she just starts by saying, with all of my heart, I will glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, which I love that phrasing, in the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. She just worships him. She forgets all the negativity that she could focus on. She forgets all of the reasons that she could be really stressed, really worried, worried even to the point for her life, right? She forgets all that and says, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to glorify him in the deepest parts of who I am. I'm going to worship him and rejoice in him. And he's shown favor to me. She did not have to view it this way, but she did. She's like, for all of time to come, People will call me blessed because of this gift. She's seeing what many would call a curse and seeing it as a gift. She's viewing it the way that God would want her to view it, not the way that the world would want to view it. And she's rejoicing in him. She's worshiping him despite the difficult circumstances that might come. Despite any judgment or shame that might be cast her away. She's like, look, God entrusted me with his son. How can I not just worship him and be thankful and and take joy in him? So there's a few things that she does. She looks forward and worships God in, in preemptive thankfulness for everyone calling her blessed. She sees this almost prophetically. She's like, I have the son of God in my womb. I know something, she probably doesn't know exactly how everything's going to play out, but she's like, something's going to play out so awesome that I'm going to be remembered for all of time, which is exactly what has happened, right? We all respect um, and honor Mary. We don't worship Mary, but we honor Mary. And so she looks forward and she, she worships God for the future things. She also worships God for the present things. And then she also worships God for the past things. She's looking at everything through time, right? She's not just looking at her circumstances and worshiping God. She's like, for all of the things you have done, for all the things that you will do, I'm going to worship you, I'm going to thank you, I'm going to praise you, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to glorify you. I've decided right now, as I'm writing this on, that no matter what, through all of time, I will worship you because you are deserving of it, because you are God of the universe. And you have blessed me, and, and you have given this child to me. If we believe what we really say we believe, the only correct thing for us to do in every circumstance is to worship. If it's a bad day, worship. If it's a good day, worship. If it's a hard year, worship. If it's a good year, worship. If you get cancer, worship. If you get healed of cancer, worship. The only correct response to every situation that arises is to worship. Amen? Sounds like someone's having a problem right there. The only correct response, if we believe what we say we believe, is to worship. Faith-based worship is the call of our life. The call of our life is to worship in faith. Paul, earlier in this book, he said, I press on to make it my own he's speaking of his calling he's speaking of what god has called him to which is in in to sum it up worshiping with his whole life to sacrifice his whole life to the lord this is the calling right so he says i press on to make it my own the calling because christ jesus has made me his his own you know i've been saying that verse over and over in my head throughout the last 3 weeks i press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You know, that verse has brought me to tears multiple times recently. Just thinking on that, I want to say it again. I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Think about that. He loves you enough to give you himself. He shed his own blood for you to wash you of your sin, to take on your sin and forgive it all. And to rise to offer you newness of life and an eternity with Him. So we press on because He's made us His own. We worship with the entirety of our lives because Jesus has made us His own. We don't love Him to earn His love. He already loves us, so we love Him back. The call of the believer is to respond to His love, to respond to His grace that He gives freely. How awesome is that? So I want to ask you guys today, as we take communion, um, well, once so you can come up, we'll be taking communion today during the worship team. Yeah, you can come up. You know, Jesus says that I give you this bread and this wine as a symbol of my body, which was broken for you and my blood that was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we partake of his body, we partake of his blood. Let that be a symbol today for all that Jesus has done. And as we receive it, we partake of his grace. We partake of his love. And we receive from him his Holy Spirit. We receive from him his strength to live out this life, To surrender our whole life in response to Him. Not to earn His love. Not to earn salvation. Not to get to heaven. But because He already loves you. Because He already has all the grace imaginable for you. To receive it. So during this time, take communion as you feel during the next three songs. But let it truly be a moment where you partake of His grace for whatever you need. His grace is not lacking... Whatever good work you want to do, but you don't feel like you have the energy to do, partake of His grace. Whatever sin you're struggling with that you don't feel like you can get past, partake of His grace. God knew what you were doing right now, this last week, 2,000 years ago when He was on that cross. He did, it's not like He didn't know about it. And He shed His blood so that it would be forgiveness and grace right now for you to receive. So during this time, receive it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everyone here. God, let this be a time where we partake metaphorically of your body, but spiritually, we literally partake of your grace. We literally partake of your strength and your love and receive your Holy Spirit. Lord, please do not let this be a time where we take, take it lightly. Lord, please do not allow us to eat of the bread and drink of the cup without a sincere heart. Lord, I pray that none of us would partake without expecting to receive something. Because you give it freely, Lord. Thank you so much for all you have done. Thank you for everyone here, Lord. I pray your spirit would just fill this room in this moment, Lord. Let this be a time where we draw near to you in worship. We draw near to you and give ourselves over to you completely, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.